hear from God's Word. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We have been found to be misrepresenting God, because we testify about God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Amen. This morning and this week, as I prepared um, this message, I, I worked really hard and I contemplated lots of things and I had, um, as I told my wife, I said, well, it's just not coming together. I've got about two hours worth of stuff in here. And uh, nobody wants to hear me for two hours. So um, I could go three. But anyway, there's a lot in there. And, and I couldn't get it out. So I, I had to narrow this down. And the amazing truth that came to me as I was on my face about this was that the whole congregation... Everyone who fellowships with us, everyone who is in Christ Jesus this morning, wrote the message with me. That everyone has participated in what it is that I'm about to speak this morning. And uh, so that was, that was a comfort to me. Is this morning we speak a collective message. And they are... Words of life. Today, I come to speak life to you. I come to speak life to the church. Because Christ is resurrected from the dead. Because Christ is not in the grave. Because they found the tomb and empty. What he's given us is life. His life for ours. And what is it that we have to speak? We have to speak life. He's given us that to do. And it's a command, really. Um, this morning, in our sunrise service, we looked at, at Mark chapter 16. And after Jesus is raised, and they go speaking and saying that Jesus is raised, and that they had seen him, and that they had witnessed him, and nobody wanted to believe them, nobody wanted to hear them, Jesus' admonishment to them at the end was, go and preach the gospel. First, he calls them hard-hearted for not believing and then he says, go and preach the good news. Go tell people good news. And my heart still harkened back to speak life. He's telling us that if you have appropriated the life of Christ, if Christ is indeed risen, if he is risen in your heart and in your life, speak it. Speak life wherever you go. It's all you have. It really is all that you and I possess. We possess the life of Christ. Speak it. Speak it wherever you go. I couldn't help but harken back to Acts chapter 5 and verse 20. He says to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to all the people all the words of this life. Go and stand and speak life to the people. And in the text, 
Life is capitalized. I just noticed that for the first time. Whose life do we speak of? Not our own. We speak of Christ and his life. We speak of Christ and the fact that he is indeed risen. So it's all of our job. It's all of our duty. And who do we speak life to? That becomes something to think about. Who do we speak life to? Well, one of my first thoughts is that we must speak life to each other. In the church, we must speak life to each other. And why? Well, in John 10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We speak life to each other because it's Christ's command for us to have life abundantly. That if we speak more Christ into each other's life, then guess what? Our life becomes abundant. The abundant, spirit-filled Christian life, filled with His life, empty of our own. And then yet again, there's another group to speak life to. And who is it? Well, it is those who do not have life yet. Those who, and then are those of us sitting in this room who would like to think that they are alive when indeed they are not. They think they have life. You think you have life. If your life is not hidden in Christ, you have no life. And the gospel writer here in John tells us the purpose of the book, the purpose of the words of life that we speak Because I hope today to not speak my own words. I hope only today to speak the words of Christ. I hope today to only speak the words that the scripture says to me. And that the scripture says to you. And these are the words of life that he says to speak to those and his purpose for them. His purpose for these words, he says in John 20 verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Does that not indicate that if you do not have Christ, you have not life? He says that these words were written to you so that you might have life in his name. That you would believe in the Son of God and have life in his name. If you believe in the Son of God, if you here this morning believe that Christ died for your sins and that on that third day that he rose again and that he is alive. You are more alive than most of the world. That you are are truly, truly alive. If that is not true, if that is not true of you today, I'm speaking these words of life to you, that you might believe, that you might believe, and that you might have life in his name. You see, it's a far cry from what you sort of expect sometimes from a preacher coming at you with the harshness of how bad you are. Well, you're bad, and so am I. And you're not near as bad as you really, you don't even know how bad you are. You really don't. I don't know the depths of how bad I am yet either, but it's being revealed to me day by day. But if I believe in God, guess what? I have life. I have life in his name. And you too have life in his name. So I want to speak life to you this morning. I want the word of God to speak truth to you. Sometimes 
those truths are hard to hear. So I asked myself a few questions this week, and I hope that you guys will take a little inventory and ask some questions of yourself this morning. What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be alive? What does it mean for my life to matter? What does it really mean? And then another thing that I contemplated is that before my life in Christ is I went about trying to figure out how I could avoid death and its pains. That if you don't have Christ in your life right now, this is how a human lives. There's an inevitable sense that you are going to die. And how, what do we do to live as we try to mask the pain of that reality in some way, some shape, some form? I thought about this too. Is how many drinks does it take to numb the pain of the inevitability of my death? How many drugs do I need to take to numb me from that inevitability? How many other fleshly indulgences do I have to take in to numb me from what is obvious? There's something obvious. And I recognize this inevitability of death. There's gradual evidence of our impending finality everywhere we look. There's evidence of this gradual finality. I find it in the mirror. You know, you get up in the morning and I take a look in the mirror and there's this guy standing there that vaguely resembles a guy I once knew. <laughs> right? I look in there and I go, this guy, he doesn't have any hair anymore. And he, and he once stood there, and my sister can attest to this, with a, with a brush um, and my blonde locks and thought that I was probably the coolest thing on the planet, right? Um, but that man is not there anymore. But the, he sort of resembles that guy. Um, a little bit. Very little bit. Um, and then I notice as I try to read that these eyes have gone dim. Right? That the beard, too. That went white all of a sudden. Um, it was only maybe ten years ago it was red. And now it's white. And then I noticed that my skin is not near as elastic as it once was either. Um, and as I contemplate that, I understand this, that I am on a one-way track to a hole in the ground. Right? I stand there, I look in the mirror, and I go, this guy is on a one-way track to a hole in the ground somewhere. And yet, and yet, today, I speak of hope. I speak of life. I speak of Christ's resurrection from the dead because today I live forever. So I can take a look at this impending doom and say, but no, it is Christ's life that I live. It is because of Christ that I indeed have life. So what if it isn't true? That's another thing to contemplate, right? Here I am. The world would look at what I'm proclaiming and say, this is foolish. It's obvious. You just said it was obvious. There was evidence that you were on a one-way track to a hole in the ground. And yet you're standing here saying that today you live forever. And then you're speaking this life. What if it isn't true? What if what I am saying is not true? 
That was the question that was asked in our text this morning. What if that just wasn't true? What if it wasn't true? Well, the world will claim, and it does claim, that people who put their faith in Christ have failed to live. Have you, have you ever felt that sense? That people in the world think that you just don't know how to live? You don't know how to live. You're in Christ. You don't know how to live. You don't even know what living is about. You need to live it up and have some fun. Let your hair down a bit. Well, not me, but you guys do. But you've got to live it up a bit. And that somehow, that if you put your faith in Christ, that you just haven't figured out how to live. Well, and they look at us and they say, well, they believe that there's something else. They believe that there's something beyond this life. And they would look at us and say, how tragic that they're not living in reality. Right? How tragic the world looks upon a person in Christ and says that they're living for a future and they're living for a hope. And they would say, how tragic that they've forgotten how to live today. And we would look at that in the other way around and say, we understand that, that this is not all there is. And that if you live for this, you are looking at the man in the mirror who is deteriorating and is headed for the hole in the ground with absolutely no hope. And I say to those who say that there is no resurrection, that there is no such thing as having life in Christ's name, that that life is so tragic. It's so tragic because if there is no resurrection, there's still a truth that remains that you and I cannot get around. And here's the truth. Some things are just plain wrong. Everyone in here has that sense that some things in the world and the way it operates are just plain wrong. That there's wrongness going on all around us. If this is all there is, you're doomed to wrongness forever and ever and ever. There's no point in living in it. That's hopelessness. There's no hope of change. If all of this that's going on around us, right, all of these, this hatefulness, this wrongness that is around us, and then, even further yet, how tragic if there is no resurrection, because I understand that there's something about me that is just plain wrong. There's something about each one of us that is just plain wrong. I don't know if you've ever felt this, but we hurt each other. People hurt people. People say hateful and awful things to each other. There's something in me, there's something in you that is just plain wrong. It's just plain wrong. If there is no resurrection, then you have absolutely no hope. Well, there's another thing that I think that we must realize. We've got to wrap our heads around something. This other thing is we must realize that if we are not in Christ, that we are dead, dead, dead. I mean really dead. If we are in Christ, as we appropriate more of the life of Christ, I'll tell you this, that now that I'm living a life with Christ, I recognize more and more every day just how dead I was. I mean, I kind of knew I was dead, but as I get more of his life, I recognize I was dead. I was really, really dead. I mean, there's dead, and then there's really dead. And... Um, my brother Mark and I were having coffee on Thursday, and he reminded me of, of a uh, 
of a movie, that um, Princess Bride, and it's one of my favorites. And so, in the Princess Bride, right, um, <clears throat> Miracle Max he, he grabs a hold of, of Wesley's arm and lifts it up, and it drops, right. And as he does that, he goes, "Well, I've I've seen worse." And then he looks at Montoya and he says, "He says he's dead." No, he says no. He says he probably owes you money, huh? I'll ask him. Montoya says he's dead. He can't talk. Miracle Max says, "Look who knows so much." It just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. See, there's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with with all dead, there's only one thing you can do. So what's that? Go for his clothes and look for loose change. <laughs> but I think that 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 we must realize that we are really, really dead. And this is not new news. That we're really, really dead. In Genesis 2, and verse 16, he says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And of course, you know they ate. And they died a little bit each day. And then every one of us, born after that, every one of us born after that, the day that we came out, right, we think that that's, life is, has come, and a baby has come, and that baby has begun to die. The baby has started to die because of Adam and Eve. That baby has begun to die right away. And so, you shall, shall surely die, God says. Well, of course, you know that as we think about this fact that you shall surely die, have you ever had a person who had harmed you in some way or in many ways? And the only healthy thing for you to do was to separate yourself from them. I know that all of us have had that. And in our hearts and minds, we kind of say that person is dead to me. I can't be in relationship with them because being in relationship with them violates me. It violates my sense of self. It violates who I am. Do you see here that God would say the same thing to Adam and Eve? He loved them. I have to treat you as dead to me. You are dead to me because now that you are what you are and that sin has entered in, your life will violate me. It violates who I am. It contradicts me. I can't have a relationship. And of course, that that was sort of a figurative thought, but also then the very act, the very fact that we do indeed die, the fact that we are decaying, is a, is a surefire way that God knew what he was talking about when he said you shall surely die. But what do you think, then, that the enemy does to us in that? The enemy tells us a lie. He tells us a big lie. In chapter 3, verse 3 of Genesis, he says, But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God 
knowing good and evil. So he says, now you'll really know how to live. Now you will really know how to live. And God, and the enemy keeps telling us that same lie. He keeps telling us the same lie. That, that we're really alive if we deny God. We're really alive if we know how to live according to ourselves. The only ones we need to answer to is you. Answer to yourself and you shall live. It's, it's a prevalent thing in our society too. All you need to know, you need to find the answers on how to live and you look inside yourself and you'll find it. What it said. That's a lie from the enemy. It's a lie from the enemy that says you can have life. The thing is, is that we don't recognize that we are dead, dead, dead. That we are dying. That we are dead to God. Outside of Christ, we are dead to God. We are dead to a relationship to Him. We cannot have a relationship to Him. And Another thing in this, in further on in verses 15 through 19 of, of Genesis, I want to read those to you too. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. This is a proclamation of a futile life. God says, what you think is life, I'll give you this. This life you will have will be filled with toil, trouble, problems, sweat. It's not life. It's futility. It's a futile end. You will work and work and work and work. And still at the end of the day, you're going in the ground. You'll work and work and work and go in the ground. And never have had the life that I promised you. And never have the life that I promised you. You could have with me and in me. But notice that as we began that last part of that passage, he talked of the coming Christ. He talked of the coming Christ. There'll be an enemy, right? But he shall crush his head. That is, the Christ shall crush his head. And then in him, by faith, you will have life. You have life in him. Well, I remember the preacher. I think of the preacher, of the great preacher, Solomon. And he speaks of this futility of life. In Ecclesiastes 9, he says, But all this I have laid to heart and examined it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sin. He who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope. 
For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. For the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. To think about the futility of a life without Christ. Futility. It's a futile life. But, again, like I said, I want to speak life this morning. I want to speak life. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First, by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That God may be all in all. You see, because Christ was obedient to the Father... That he was obedient to the author of life, to the one who spoke life, to the one who said, let there be light. And in his words, life was born. That this author of life, Christ, was obedient, obedient unto death, unto death on the cross. Because of his obedience, he granted him authority over all of life and death. Christ has authority over all of life. And all of death. Christ's resurrection spoken to you today. Our words spoken to dry bones that bring you life. I realize that when we look at Ezekiel. And he is speaking to these dry bones. There's a, there was an overwhelming thought that came to me. God speaks to the prophet. And he tells him. Speak to these bones. Speak words of life to these bones. The bones could not come alive by themselves. They couldn't come in their own power. In Ezekiel 37, I'm going to read you verses 3 through 6. I think it's pretty amazing. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophecy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and to cover you with skin and breathe in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. You see, we speak words of life. We speak the words of Christ to dead 
dry bones. To that which is dead, we speak words of life. Because one, they can't save themselves. And two, you and I can't either. You and I cannot bring a dead person back to life. Only God, only God, can breathe life into dead, dry bones. And as I was contemplating earlier, just how dead I really was. I only recognize that by the, as I appropriate the life of Christ more and more. Christ came to give me life and that more abundantly. As I appropriate that abundant life of Christ, and I look backward, and I recognize, wow, you were dead. You were certainly dead. And you couldn't do anything to bring yourself into life. God came and intervened in your life, spoke to your deadness, and gave it life. He breathed life into you. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God... It's always a good point to pause. But God, you were dead, 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 dead. Really, really dead. Not like, not like you know, the Wesley there where he was only kind of mostly dead. You were really, really, really dead. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive Together with Christ. That's why the resurrection of Christ matters. Because the resurrection of Christ, all of us who share this message together this morning, as we proclaim this to the world, he made us alive. That we were really dead. That is like such good news. We should be excited about the fact that I was once really, really dead. I was once really, really dead. I couldn't help myself. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't get out of the grave. I couldn't get out of this body. I couldn't get out of, this, of, of, of my separation from God. I couldn't do anything. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love, when I was dead, dead, dead in my trespasses, made me alive together with Christ. You see, the tomb being empty matters lots. And I think that the tomb being empty matters a lot because I think that God tells us that there's something you ought to do with that. That the empty tomb, for those of you and I who are alive in Christ, tells us this. Speak of the resurrection of Christ wherever you go. All of what we are as Christian, we claim to be Christian, we claim to be a Christian church, all that we are hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's, that is the thing. That is the thing that marks us out and makes us different. Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because our God is alive and that his life is being lived in us. And being lived out through us. It, it matters. It matters a ton. And so he would say to those of you and I who are in Christ. Speak these words of life. Because these words of life will bring life to those that you speak it to. Well they might not believe you. Look at all of the 
the, the ones who denied it, the disciples who saw firsthand that the tomb was empty and that Christ came and spoke to them and they didn't believe him. But Christ, when he showed himself to them, said, Oh, you hard-hearted people, speak the gospel wherever you go. Speak the truth of that. Speak my life wherever you go and just trust me for the result. You speak it and trust me for the result. That's what God will tell us. If we look back at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, one more thing I want to tell you about this. In verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the immortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we walk in victory, those of us in Christ today. Victorious. Because he was victorious over sin. He was victorious over death. And he says that we have life in his name. If we have life in his name... We don't walk as cowards in the world, do we? We don't shrink back from telling the truth of the resurrection. Because we walk from a position of victory. We walk because Christ has won. Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. You and I, who were once dead, are now alive. You and I, who once had no hope, have a living hope. We have a living hope. One of the promises that he says as he tells us to go and preach the good news is this. Though he is risen and seated at the right hand of God, he tells us this. I will be with you. I will be with you to the very end of the age. This God who is alive he wants to be with us. Do you see when you go back to Genesis and you see that that's what he wanted in the first place? That's what he wanted in the first place. I want to be with you, Adam. I want to be with you, Eve. Am I enough for you? If I am, you can have anything you want. Leave that tree alone, that's mine. And they chose the tree instead of him. They chose death instead of life. So I'm going to pray this morning. As the worship team comes up, they'll close us in a couple of songs. But if you're sitting here today and you get a sense that life had been spoken to you, you get a sense that I'm dead. I'm really, really dead. 
I need life. And that God has spoken life into these dead, dry bones. And I can, I can feel and sense that God is speaking life to me right now. That he is making me alive because of Christ. If that is you this morning, the word of God tells us, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. And what do you confess with your mouth? That he is risen. We confess that God raised him from the dead. If you confess that with your mouth, you will be saved. You will be saved. So if God is making you alive, I don't want you to leave. I don't want you to leave the room without confessing to someone that he is alive. That God raised him from the dead. I got Joe, a couple of guys back here. They'll be in the back for you. Um, Come to them. Not in any weird way. You just walk in and say, I believe. I believe that God died for me. I believe that he died for me. And I believe and I confess. I confess my sins before God. I realize that his death on the cross was enough. And I confess with my mouth that God raised him from the dead and I have life in him. So let's pray. And they'll lead us in some song. And we'll close. Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. I thank you that because he is risen, we are indeed alive. That you have given us life in his name. I pray, Lord, that you give us the courage and strength to speak life. I pray this morning that as you're stirring in folks' heart, that that you have spoken life to them. That they sense that they were dead. And they sense that right now, by the power of your spirit, you are making them alive in Jesus Christ, and that they are sharing in the resurrection life of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would move in them, that they would do business with you this morning, and that you would be brought great glory in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.